All right, tonight we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians 2. We'll pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight and the time to sing and pray and worship and fellowship together. And we just pray that you be very present, that your Holy Spirit would anoint your word, that it would touch our hearts, um, and that we'd receive it with gladness. That's what changes us from the inside out. That's how it works, is when we receive it. And so, God, I pray that we would tonight. I pray that the kids will be blessed, that the teachers that are teaching the kids will be blessed. And we just pray this is a wonderful night as we glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul's conduct, he continues to share about how he was. And the reason he does that is he's trying to contrast those who have come in behind him. Um, you know the story. He comes in, he teaches, starts a church, he leaves, and another group comes in behind him and tries to undo everything that he did. And so um, it's not really passive-aggressive, but it is, hey, this is how I was. If you compare me to them, what do you think, you know, is the idea. And that's a really good lesson for all of us, I think, as we go through this. As Aaron prayed, I pray that we'd hear what you'd have to say to each one of us tonight. I think it's very important to be able to discern in our hearts the difference between true and false. Not, not, not like truth and, and falsehoods. I mean, between someone who's being genuine, someone who is truly an ambassador for Christ versus someone who's not. Because there are many in this world that claim to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ, and they aren't. They do it in name only. They do it for gain. They do it for profit. They do it for a lot of other reasons other than bringing God glory. In fact, the, the group that Paul is contrasting himself against, um, you know, a black dot on a white piece of paper, if you will, is a group that is doing it because they lost their power when Jesus came. And they don't like that. They want it back. It's hard when you're used to living a certain lifestyle and all of a sudden someone says, not anymore. Well, even if it is for the Lord, you, you, you get used to those creature comforts. You get used to the praise of men when you walk down the street. You get used to the right places at, and the best seats at the restaurant on Fridays and Saturdays or whenever they went out to eat. You know, They lost all that, and, and they know that, and they recognize that. And so they think their way back is to smear Jesus Christ and his followers, uh, to, to get them to think of him in a different light, that they might come back to the old ways of doing things, religion, with them being on top, and then they can receive back those praises again. They want that back. And so Paul conducted himself as a Christian. He is a teacher. He's an apostle. He's many things. He has a lot of hats, but he conducts himself simply as a Christian. So I just don't want us to ever think that when we're reading about Paul, we're reading about someone extraordinary, although he was a brilliant man. I don't think we'll ever, I won't anyway, get close to that level of intellect and ability to, to disseminate God's word and give it out in such a way that people get it within three weeks. Are you kidding me? You know, it's amazing, but... What he does is not remarkable, it's expected. It's normal Christianity. And so when he describes himself tonight in chapter 2, I think that's important for us to read and to understand. Verse 1, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold 
in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much, in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. And so what he says there in that verse 3 is what they were saying about him. We didn't, they were saying they came that way. He's saying we didn't come with error. We, we didn't make mistakes. We, we weren't giving you false teachings. It wasn't uncleanness. That was a big thing for the Judaizers. You're washing your hands wrong. You're doing this wrong. You're not doing it according to our customs. No, we didn't teach you anything unclean. And nor was it deceitful. There was nothing for us to gain from you. And he, he's going to elaborate on that for the rest of this chapter. I wasn't trying to take from you. I wasn't trying to trick you. We still have those shysters in the, in the church today. You can see them on TV. You can see them sometimes locally even. Where the, the reason they share what they share is, is deceptive. It's not because they have a heart for the congregation. It's because they want to gain from them. And that can come in lots of different forms, that deceit. Um, and we have to learn how to discern that. Are they doing this for gain or are they doing this for, for us? You know, for my well-being. Are, are they a father in the faith to me? Um, which is what Paul was to the Thessalonians. We came to you and it wasn't in vain. Nothing we do in the Lord is in vain. Nothing. Everything we do for the Lord, whether there's fruit or not, if it's done for the Lord, if it's done by faith, God honors that always. You know, I get questions and I think... Most of us have probably gotten a question from another brother or sister in the Lord. I've got a decision to make. I don't know what to do. I've got two choices. I don't know what the right thing to do is. And of course, our response is, have you prayed about it? Which is excellent. It's exactly what you say. Yes, I have. And, and he hasn't spoken. And every one of us could raise our hand saying, amen. I wish he'd yell a little louder. I know it's probably me. I know it's me. But I wish he'd speak so clearly that I don't have any other choice but to obey that, you know, number one or choose number two. And he doesn't do that. And so we, we, we try to encourage them. And here's something that I've been saying more and more because I've discovered in my life, in my walk with the Lord, is what you do, you do by faith. And he honors that. If I honestly sit down and say, God, I really think this is what you told me to do. I really feel like this is in my heart to do. I don't see anywhere in God's word or in your word where it's contrary to what your word says. I think I kind of have some leeway here. By faith, I'm going to take a step in this direction. And if you want to change that direction, by all means, but I'm going to go. I'm going to do it. And I walk by faith without hearing, take step number one or take step number two. Sometimes he changes my directions. Other times he just... Either way, though, I want you to know this. As a child of God, you've honored your father in putting him first and asked him and admitting, I may not fully understand your direction for my life, but I'm going in the direction I think you would be pleased with, and I'm taking that step. I think God honors that. Nothing we do is in vain. Now, he may change your direction, and you may feel like a dope because you didn't understand or hear or feel Foolish, but if you could humbly just change your direction and say, I prayed that, change my direction. And he did, and I'm going this direction. Now, the people around you, I say this because it's graduation time. And the number one question asked for every graduate is, what are you going to do next? You know, And every one of them has got a standard answer that they've learned to say because they don't want to look at them and say, I don't have any idea what I'm supposed to do. You know, But to look and say, well, I think I'm going to go do this. I think this is what I'm going to do. And it looks like I'm going to do this, that, and the other. And they have, I have no idea whether I'm going to do that or not. But 
I want to appease that question, you know. It's okay to not know, to trust the Lord, to just, to just take that step. And if you can humbly let him change your direction to another one and not worry about what everybody's going to think. Oh, boy, they're changing direction already, you know. They've changed their major three times in their freshman year. It's because they don't know. And we need to give them a break. Now, there's a lot of other applications other than education. It can be jobs. It can be family. It can be a lot of things. But it's not in vain. Paul says, when I do ministry... It's not in vain. Whether there was fruit in this town and I started a church, whether there was no fruit in this town and I didn't start a church, I did it by faith and I did it for my God. And he sees that as a, as a job well done because you did what I asked you to do. And, and I'm pleased with that. And I want everybody to do what I ask them to do. And I like that. It's not in vain. The increase, the fruit that comes from whatever ministry we do is God's. He brings the increase. If there is none, that's not my problem. As long as I did it faithfully and I did it with love in my heart and I did it the way he prescribes me to do it in God's word, I can't help it if people listen or if they don't listen. Not my responsibility. That's his. It's not in vain. Now, Paul says it's not in vain because you're a fabulous church. I mean, what a healthy, beautiful church this is. I love this, that I can write a letter like this. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, in other words, that was a thing by faith too, but it didn't go as well as you guys. As you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much, in much conflict. We didn't change our tone because we were so roughly treated the last time we opened our mouths. That's a hard thing. You know, I had a guy come to my door tonight every year, and there'll be three more this year, every spring. They drive by, beautiful trucks, amazing trucks. And they come by, and they've got, well, they've got some, elect, uh, some extra aluminum paint that they paint on top of the galvanized roofs of all these old things, you know. And I just saw that you've got this old building out here, and I, and I listen because they're a salesman. I get it. I understand. This is a hard, it's a hard thing to pull up. And got out of the truck and walked towards the door. I understand that. And I usually say, well, I'm going to pass. We're, we don't really want to preserve that building. In fact, I'm kind of hoping something blows it down. You know, I don't need any more paint to hold it together. I try to make light of it the best I can. Tonight, I wouldn't do so well. I said, pass. And he got in his car and drove away. Now, there'll be three more. and They don't have extra paint. They just do this. That's what they do. Fine. Good, good job. Um, uh, that guy's got to go to the next house after meeting me tonight. And being a little abrupt, because I was busy, I'm doing stuff. What do you want? Get, come here, dogs, holding the dogs while you give me your spiel. I don't want your aluminum paint. Go away. You know, and, and now he's got to go to the next house. And his tone may change because he's expecting another rejection. You know, I don't care whether you want it or not. Do you want paint or not? I figured you didn't. And walk in, you know, we can do that with the gospel sometimes. I got burnt the last time I shared the gospel. I mean, they're still emailing me about how they hate me, you know? And so the next person you go to, whether you like it or not, you're going to hell unless you love Jesus. Fine, I'm out, you know, there's a better way to do this. If we're so afraid, you know? Paul says, Philippi, gee whiz, we were spitefully treated. But we came to you with the same message, with the same boldness, and there was fruit. 
What are the salesman's uh, things is what, 30 no's before you get a yes? I don't know what the rules are. Something like that. I don't know if I could do that. You know? When it comes to the gospel, it's not in vain to share the gospel in truth and in love, regardless of the outcome. Your father's pleased in heaven. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 31 through... Oh, wait, that's the wrong one. Sorry. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. Now, for the third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. That's a proverb they would use to describe that it's not the kid's responsibility to take care of the parents financially when they're older. It's the parents' responsibility to help the young ones out with their, you know, step up, you know, kind of give them a hand up. He uses that spiritually, though. I didn't come to you, and I'm not coming to you again, Corinthians, to be a burden to you. I'm not trying to take from you. I'm here to give to you again. And he he describes that. That's how Paul came to Thessalonians. I came honestly. We came in much conflict and difficulty, and we were just shut down. But we came anyway, and we did what we were supposed to do and shared with you. He wants him to know that. Now he's going to build on that, verse 4. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But... We were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. That's how we came to you. He says a lot of things there in the sense that we didn't come to please you. We said the same thing we say to all men. We didn't care if we offended you or not. But he also says we also came to you in case you, in case you took that verse out of context. He follows up with, but we were treated you like a mother who cherishes her child. Now that's how you share the gospel right there. That's how you do it. You don't need to corner someone on the street, give them an ultimatum, back them into a place where they have no other choice but to say, I guess I received Christ. I don't mean I don't want this to happen. I don't want that to happen. You want it to be coming from love, like a mother who cherishes her children. And Paul, that's just not how I picture him. You know, I don't see him that way. But he is testifying. That's how he is. He's not just speaking into the air. Well, when I was back in Thessalonica, I was a great guy. I was like a mother to them. No, he's telling the people who could refute that. You remember how it was like a, cher- a mother who cherishes her children to you? And they, they have to admit, yeah, you were, you know, and so it confirms it. That's the kind of person he was. In first John, now this is, there's a lot here, but I broke it up into two sections. It's kind of a long cross-reference, but When Paul makes it a point to say, we were serving God by serving you. I think that's the short version of this. It's in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. That's our first section. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Again, going along with our theme tonight of being able to discern between who's really of God and who isn't of God. Okay. Because, here's why I want you to be a discerner of spirits or test these spirits. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Here's how you'll know, because that's the question. If we're supposed to discern, how are we supposed to know? 
Every spirit that confesses of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. And that's what these Judaizers and these folks would say, similar things. Skipping down then to our second section of this cross-reference, verses 7 through 11. And I don't skip it because the, uh, v- the verses in between are, are inconsequential. They just don't have to do with what we're talking about. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, We also ought to love one another. There's a lot of love in that. He's making it a point. Those who know God love. They have to. They've been in his presence. They know who he is. He dwells in their hearts. They just do. Those who don't love, they don't know him. They may speak of him. They may know his word even. They may have memorized the scripture. They may know exactly what to say at the right time. But there's no love. That's not of God. They're, they're using it for a different purpose. Now, Paul would say, let them, as long as God's word is shared. But John says, I want you to know who's of God and who isn't. They're not loving. And that's how you know. That's very important to him. I think it's important to everybody to know that is a misrepresentation of God. Um, what do you do? When you go to a church where the pastor doesn't have a love for God, but, but he's been teaching for such a long time that everybody thinks this is what it looks like. I'm going to a church where this is the genuine article, and so they begin to mimic that and act like that. And maybe one or two or maybe even three generations later, the whole congregation is just like that man, but they're carnal. They know the word of God. They can quote it. They know what to say. They know the right things to say it. They know when to say it. They even may know how to say it, but there's no love there. There's a real danger. It's one of the most important teachings we can have, I think, as believers, because not only do we check the people we listen to, myself obviously included, but we got to check ourselves. Do I love people? Do I love people? And if I love people, is that because I have God in my heart? And do I share the gospel with them because I love them and I love God? Paul here, and the reason I use this cross-reference, let me go back to the original text in 1 Thessalonians. We've been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not pleasing men. We are moving in a culture to assume that to be confrontational about sin is to be unloving. But they forget this section of Scripture. I think it helps us balance everything out. Paul says, I don't do this to please men because nobody enjoys their sin being pointed out. Guilty, humble, you still don't like it. Nobody does. Nobody wants to know. I mean, we want to, but we don't. 
We'd prefer to look in the mirror and see just, a, oh, wow, I'm an attractive person. Instead, we look in the mirror and say, yee, you need some work. Nobody likes that, but truth is truth. Paul says, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. I think we always have to remember that. My love for people can't supersede my love for God. And the way to love people is the way God has loved me. And to make sure that I love God, that's how I love people. I don't know if that was clear or even more muddy than I needed to make it. Simply this, I cannot check my love for Jesus Christ, who we sang beautiful songs about tonight, to make sure that you're happy when you leave church. Can't. I'm not doing what he's called me to do. I'm not loving the one who loved me first. The most loving thing I can do for the person who loved me first, Jesus Christ, is to share the truth in love with everybody I know, but to never compromise on the truth and never compromise on the love. I've got to do because of my love for him. When someone gets mad at me for saying something that Jesus died on the cross for, I cannot be so worried about our relationship that I change what I say so that I reject that, my love for Christ, so that we can have a better relationship. If there's a problem between me and you or me and the person I'm speaking to about God and sin, it's them. I had to change. I had to receive the, re- the rebuke, the correction, the conviction that God has for me. And that is going to come across as I share to other people. I, I can't help that you're offended by what I'm saying. Christ is offensive. The, the point of this is, Paul says, I made sure that the cross was the offensive part. The sin that he hates was the offensive part, not the way I presented it. Not the way I carried myself among you. That can't be the reason people reject the gospel. I, I appreciate Jesus, I just don't like you. Well, then there's a problem with me. I understand I'm a sinner and I need to repent. I just don't like the way you said it. I felt so fine, valid. I need to change the way I present myself. But when it comes to, I hate you talking about that stuff. You don't talk about that sin. That's unloving. That's not, and now you've got a problem with the cross and you've got a problem with Jesus. And I can't, I can't change that. That's what he came to die on the cross for. Paul says, I didn't come to please men, but God who tests the heart. And yet I came to you because I love you, because that's how I serve my God. That's how I love my God. Hopefully we get it. Verse 8. So, like a cherished, uh, a mother who cherishes her own children, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, the good news of God, but also our own lives, because you have become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. Paul worked. He took out, in my opinion, as many objections as there could be. I don't think you can remove all the objections that people can throw at you for giving out the gospel, but you try to reduce it as much as possible. For example, well, maybe another way of thinking it, when we put on a service here, right, we put a lot of effort into this, in a sense. There's always coffee, and there's water, and there's bathrooms, and the chairs are spaced as widely as we can space them in a room this small. We try to have the temperature about even 
We usually make everybody angry with the temperature of the room. Somebody's freezing or somebody's hot. There's no middle ground. We do our best to make sure that the lights are pleasing, that the sound is at an okay level. We do everything we can do. They practice their worship sets to make sure the singing is at least the best that we have to offer them. We try to give excellence in that. And we try to reduce the amount of distractions so that we have an environment for a wonderful time of worship with God. A lot goes into this, you know. Now, that isn't the reason we come to make sure the lights are okay and that the words were right and the songs were good. We don't do that. We know that. But if we can reduce it, there's something about when we go into worship to be able to let the, 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 the team disappear and you're in the throne room of God worshiping and you're just so, I mean, you're just there. That's very difficult. And you know what snaps you out of it? A flub on the guitar, a drop stick on the drums, a mismanaged note from the microphone. All of a sudden you snap out of it, don't you? Those are distractions that can cause us to pull us out of that worship. We don't mean to be that fickle, but we kind of are. Likewise with the gospel. Paul says, I did everything I could when I came to you so there wouldn't be any excuses for you. You just want our money. I didn't take a dime from you. Nothing to gain from it. Oh, you didn't come for our money. Let's see what else I can come up with. Keep trying. You were unloving. That's not true. He washed my feet. And you go through all the things. Well, he was mean and harsh, and now he's like a cherishing mother. Hmm. He took out as many objections. Now, they'll, they can still find objections to the gospel. But Paul says, I made sure that at least it wasn't me that you're rejecting. It was truly the gospel. And it's really important, I think. Now, I have a lot of scriptures for this. And we'll go pretty quickly through these. And I'll post these. Like Somebody's been asking me for the notes, so I just put them on the, on the, uh, so they know where the cross-references are. I put them uh, in the comment section on the Facebook uh, feed here. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 31 through 33. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, not yourself, is what Paul's getting at. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. Now, there's a lot of questions that come up after that cross-reference. I, I, so, so someone, you know, do I not eat meat then? Because they don't eat meat. On it depends. You've got to be led of the Spirit. Uh, one would even argue when Peter came from Jerusalem and Paul had been ministered, or no, Peter was with the Gentiles, with Paul, and they were all ministering to these Gentiles. Fine, that's good. They were supposed to. And the guys from Jerusalem, the, the, the Jews that were believers, came. And when Peter saw them coming, he separated from the Gentiles and wouldn't eat with them anymore. Some would say and argue, well, wasn't he just trying to become all things to all men? And Paul says no. And, and that's an excellent help for us. Not at the expense of the Gentiles. Not at the expense of somebody else. I'm not to become all things to all men. If I got two groups, I'm choosing grace. If I've got two groups to choose from, I'm choosing mercy. And I'm choosing, uh, I'm choosing love. Okay? I'm not choosing offense. I'm not choosing legalism. I'm not choosing that. Okay? Now, if it's me one-on-one -on -one with this Jewish guy who just does not feel comfortable with pork sandwiches yet, you know? He's a believer. He ought to be. We'll get there, you know, maybe. But for now, I'm not going to order the ham and cheese. You know, I don't need to do that for the, for the sake of the conversation. You get the point. Paul says, 
Remember what your job is in that 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Your job is to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to people. Everything else is nothing. What you ate during that time period while you were sharing the gospel is nothing. Eat leaves. Who cares? Make sure the gospel what was what was heard and not your behavior. You know, make it easy for them. Remove as many distractions as possible, as many objections as possible. Acts chapter 24, verse 16. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense towards God and men. Never forget that. I don't want to just not offend men at the point I'm not going to offend God in this conversation either. He's the most important. He's who I'm talking about. I don't want to win your friendship at the expense of my God. So keep that in mind. Isaiah 8.14. He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel and a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. That's a prophetic section of scripture talking about the Messiah. People will stumble, but it can't be because of me, but they will stumble because of Jesus Christ. So be able to discern between those two things when you're speaking to people about the Lord. Was that me that they were offended at, or was it truly the message that I shared of Jesus Christ? Romans 9, 33, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be, or will not be put to shame. I only pick these out because Jesus is told, or we're told about Jesus in the scriptures, that he will be offensive to people. Jesus is offensive. He knows that. And he wants us to be prepared for that. Matthew 16, 23. But he turned and said to Peter, this is what Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. It was one of those moments where Peter thought he was saying the right thing. And Jesus was talking about his death the next day. He says, no, you're not going to die. And Jesus was upset with that because he wasn't thinking right. He says, you're an offense to me. He actually calls him Satan, but you've offended me. Oh boy, I don't want to offend Jesus. If anything happens in my conversation with anybody, he's not going to be offended. That's key. And I think if you focus on that, and what I say, and what I'm saying is offensive to Jesus, then I shouldn't say it. Either not sharing the gospel properly or not sharing it enough. Both can be offensive. I need to be careful. And as long as I'm focused on him, this conversation is going to be what it's supposed to be. You know, very important. Verse uh, 10. You are witnesses. And God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We talk to you like fathers. You know. Now, um, what he means by that, and I'm not trying to change the meaning, it, it is, he wasn't lording over them like a father though. You know? I charged you like a father. This is what God's word says. uh, Fathers are blunt sometimes. Mothers cherish. (laughs) I'm not saying that. I'm not being sexist, although a little. Fathers are just very, we're a little more blunt is all. You know, you see your kid lying on the ground. Ooh, are you hurt? Not a mother's first instinct. It's to, oh, 
I mean, obviously he's hurt. Why would you ask that question? I just want to know how hurt he is. Can he walk? Oh, he can't. Okay, it's a big deal, you know. Oh, he can get up. He's all right. You get the wind knocked out of you, buddy? Like a father, you know. A little more blunt, a little more to the point. Still love in our hearts. We just want to assess the situation quickly and get him into an ambulance or tell him to get back up the tree, whatever we need to do that day, you know. I cherished you like a mother, but I also charged you like a father because I considered you my own, which is the important part. I wasn't bossy like a boss. I treated you like a father treats someone who's his own, you know. I focused on you. I paid attention to you. My heart is for you. Everybody knows what father means. Well, they did back then. Everybody knows what father means, you know. So when he says that, it would have been very endearing to them. They would, oh, you were like a father to us. You were so, you know, you were so straight to the point. You, you just told us what we needed to hear, but we could tell that it was done with love, you know, um, very important. Uh, we came to you devoutly. We came to you justly. We came to you blamelessly, which is my cross-reference focus, is being blameless. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness. Now, why does that go to that? Well, I came to you devoutly, justly, and blamelessly. I wasn't there where I shouldn't have been the night before, and then Saturday morning teaching in the synagogue the things of God. I carried myself the same, whether I was in the synagogue or whether I was walking down the street or the night before. It doesn't matter where you find or when you find Paul. He's Paul, a follower of Jesus Christ. That's very important for us as Christians. I don't want to be different at church. I don't want to be a different person. I'm, I'm that person there. I'm that person at work. I'm that person at home. I'm the same person no matter where I am. And that person when I'm alone, maybe that's something we should add to it. I think that's the most real you, who you are when you're by yourself. That's the kind of Christian you are. If you ever wonder or pray, God, I wonder how close to you I really am. How you are alone is how you are. That's your real, that's your real you right there. No one to watch. Galatians 5.19. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Now, here's... I'll finish it. Because <laughs> he's going to contrast here. And that's the point. Um, I came to you devoutly, justly, blamelessly. I behaved myself like a believer among you. I exhorted, I comforted you. How did they come to you? What were they like? So let me give you the contrast. These are the works of the flesh. They're evident. It's adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, in case you missed something, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If that's a permanent part of someone's life, if that's something they work at, and that's something that comes up consistently, or consistently they're known for it, they may not be a believer, is the idea. It doesn't mean you fall into that or make mistakes or sin once in a while. That's the idea, but practice. I think practice, like shooting hoops. When Shaq could not get the free throws down, he practiced at it. If you find people practicing these things, careful. Here's the contrast. 
Here's what a believer looks like. Here's what I look for in my life. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. He makes a very clear list. This is what flesh looks like. This is what spirit looks like. It's just honest. Now, it's hard not to go through that list and say, well, I do that and I do that, but I don't mean those things and that's not me and I don't think that's, I don't think I fit that group, but I do, and once in a while I do this, that, and the other thing, so I think I'm this group over here. We can do that, and I know. I do the exact same thing when I read these things. We just have to be really honest is all with ourselves. Is this a permanent part of who I am? And do I tell other people that? That's just who I am. That's how God made me. Be careful. God did not make you to have that first part of the list in your bio. That makes sense. When people talk about you, these aren't the things they write down as things and characteristics they know of you to be true. They're out of character. Doesn't mean they don't happen, but they're out of character. That's not like that person. That's so unusual. When you blow up at work and you feel like you've lost your entire witness, I've been witnessing for seven years and I blew my witness, it was out of character and everybody knows it. They were so shocked at what you said. Everybody else says it every other day. But when you said it, they were jaw dropped. Guess what? You're okay in the sense that You were known for being a believer and a walker and a lover of Jesus Christ and a lover of people. And that was really out of character for you. That took us a step back. You know what you do? You could confess to them. Boy, that was out of character for me. I'm so sorry for what I said. I hope you can forgive me for my sins. And what the people who you've been witnessing to and you just blew your witness saw was a way back to God. As you try to make your way back into their hearts by asking for forgiveness, they learn So when I sin, I don't have to be perfect, but I do have a way back. You're teaching even in that. I hope that's encouraging tonight. But (laughs) I don't want that to be what I'm known for. And if I am, I guess you've been, as Paul just said earlier to the Thessalonians, you know that I uh, charged you. Just consider yourself charged by God's word tonight that that needs to change. That's wonderful. That's what we came here for, right? 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Walking in darkness, practicing. I think these are very action-oriented words, obviously. These are words that mean a continual. Those who stand in the path of sinners sit in the seat. You know, you walk, stand, and sit in Psalm 1. You know, be careful of that progression. Once you find yourself walking in that darkness, um, not stunned by the fact that you're there, not surprised, not out of character, but walking in it, well, you're just practicing a lie. John doesn't write that, and God doesn't put that in his word because that never happens to people. It's because it always happens to people. We have to be careful. If we say we have fellowship with God, and most people do, but we walk in darkness, we're lying. We just are. Being genuine, who you are with God by yourself. 
Ephesians 5.11, this is our last one for this section. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. You've got levels. First of all, what do I look like? What do I do? What do I practice? What's out of character for me? Am I lying to myself? Do I really have a relationship with Jesus? Or do, do I just attend and go through the motions? You know? Have I just got a label on my head that I put there? And I want everybody to believe it. And it'd be too prideful of me to take that label off and let everybody know that I'm a wicked sinner that I don't think I've ever accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. There are thousands of people in churches with that label right there, with that, under, with that, with that truth in their life. I cannot let anybody know that I'm not a believer and that I've been sitting here for 20 years. How embarrassing. They'd be shocked. I'd lose my reputation. Everything that was supposed to be lost 20 years ago, you know, I still can't give it up today. I encourage it. Just do it. <laughs> it's a very difficult walk. I mean, I was only 19 when I discovered that I wasn't who I thought I was in the Lord. Because someone was bold enough to tell me that I wasn't who I thought I was in the Lord. Because I walked in darkness. I did every one of these things right here. I was the epitome of Galatians 5, 19 through 21. I did that. I lived that. I walked that way and I loved Jesus. No, you don't. You can't. Sure I can. I just told you I did. I had to be confronted in a loving way. Well, not so loving. Brian was a rough guy. Gosh, I love that guy though. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. That's just maintenance. That's just maintenance. How do I have fellowship? I don't, I don't go to the bars. I don't do this. I don't do that. I mean, don't do any of it. Ever. Steer clear of it. Don't have fellowship with them. You're not buddy buddies with that. Jesus died for those things. Verse 13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it. Not as the word of men, but as it is, in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. He was so excited. There is nothing like it when people hear the word of God and they just receive it. I don't argue the points and I don't know. I got problems with that and I got that. I mean, we'll work it out. I'd be glad to sit down with you and do the best I can. But Paul's like, oh, you guys just received it. It was so refreshing. And it's working in you. I can see the fruit. Yeah, we've got some issues that we're going to deal with as we get to the end of this book about what happens when you die, but these are minor things compared to what you receive from me, you know. You receive the gospel, that's salvation. You're wondering about when Jesus is coming back and whether dead people are actually in heaven or not. We can work that out. You received the word of God. You welcomed it into your hearts. Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 42 and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. They continued to grow in the Lord after that. You think about that. We like the number, don't we? 3,000. That's a lot of people. Those are 300 old men old women, young men, middle-aged men, middle-aged women, groups of people 
that have been going to synagogue for decades in some of their cases, having to come to this place as they hear it and humbly say, I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior and be changed that day. That was a very humbling day for 3,000 people. You know, those are real people. I think that's beautiful. It's all started with them receiving the word of God with gladness. Um, And it changed them. They were different. Verse 14, but you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea, uh, in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own, and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they do not please God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles, um, that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. <laughs> when Paul got rough, it really wasn't towards the new believers, was it? He just hated wolves. Hated wolves. Wolves eat sheep, you know. I appreciate coyotes way over there. We loved watching the foxes. We we got up one one of the snowy days this winter, and there were two bright red, beautiful, fluffy, picturesque fox just ooh, dancing in the snow. Oh, we were just cameras out. No, enjoy the moment. No, get the camera. You don't get to enjoy the moment. Oh, just so beautiful. Until they hit the fence and they start walking up towards the chicken coop. Okay, you know, cuteness time is over. Prettiness is over. I appreciate that. And I don't, you know, I love wolves over there, you know. But when it comes to the church or when it comes to believers or when it comes to God's saints who he considers lambs, no, no, we don't have any room for that. They can get saved and become lambs, but until they do, Paul treats them like wolves. He says some pretty rough stuff about them. You suffered as you imitated Christ like the other churches imitated Christ, and they suffered at the hands of your own countrymen, Jews, and then you suffered from them. Remember who these people are, he says. They're the ones that killed Jesus because they didn't like what he had to say. They killed their own prophets who they now revere. Remember, that's where Stephen got them. I don't know if you remember Stephen's little speech, but Stephen says, which one of the prophets didn't your fathers kill? You, you bunch of hypocrites, I would add, you know, is the idea. Oh, we love Isaiah. Didn't you guys kill him? Yeah, yeah, they did. You know, he's saying you guys are suffering the same thing, but make no mistake about it. These men have wrath coming upon them to the uttermost. That's as good as saying they're going to hell. You know, Don't worry, those guys are going to hell. Now, they can change. Doesn't mean they can't be saved. But as of now, Paul says, yep, they're done. He's bold. Verse 17. But we, brethren, and this is where he moves in. Right at the end of this section here, and our, our time for tonight, he moves into what he's going to talk about in the next two weeks here is about the coming of Jesus Christ. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in in presence, not in heart, we're always in our hearts, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we want to come to see you, even I, Paul, time and time again, but Satan hindered us. Can he? Paul says he can. Nothing can hinder the plans of God. Paul thought he could. 
Now, he's there. He's in letter. He's going to try to get there. But Paul says, it was Satan keeping us from you. Shipwrecks, storms coming. Every time, oh, they're arresting me again. They beat me down. Satan isn't powerless down here. I just say that because we have spiritual opposition, and we need to know that. That isn't just circumstances or happenstance, we say. It's Satan. We've got to persevere through stuff. And just because... Satan stops us doesn't mean that we say that's a closed door in the Lord. I'm going to kick it a few more times just to make sure that God, because if God locked it, I won't be able to kick it down. There's nothing wrong with kicking against it a little bit to make sure, and I don't want to be disobedient. I'll go the other way if it's God. I'll make sure. There's a spiritual battle that comes out here. Um, Satan did this. He hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? That's where he segues in. For you are our glory and joy. So he's moving them in with all this wonderful conversation, how we were among you, how blessed we were to be a part of the planning of this church, how beautiful you people are. We're, gonna, we're excited. You're our crown. You're our glory. At the coming of Jesus Christ, it's going to be okay is what he's going to talk about. Last cross-reference about spiritual opposition. You all know the verse, Ephesians 6.12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Never, ever, ever forget that. Never, Never be so moved by the face in front of you that you don't understand that there's a spiritual work behind that enemy of yours. And to pray that, and to work that way, and to fight that way spiritually, you know? Not just word on word, or fist on fist, or whatever it is that you feel you need to do, flesh against flesh. Back up as the spiritual person in the room, and begin to work that way. Do an end run around it, and begin to pray. Never forget, we wrestle against principalities against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Paul knew that. Paul did his ministry like that. So should we. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for the encouragement. We thank you for Paul's genuineness. And we thank you for these people, these Thessalonians, Lord. Um, we appreciate them and uh, their example and uh, Paul's example. So I just pray, Lord, as we walk this walk this week, with you in honesty, in a full aware, awareness of who we are in you and how close we are, how far away we are. Whatever you've shown us tonight, we're going to make strides. We're going to pay attention to what you've spoken to us tonight. We're going to, we're going to be closer to you. We're going to be changed by you. We're going to let your Holy Spirit do his work in our hearts. We're going to let your word work in our hearts this week. And I just pray for fruit, God. We want faithfulness. We're going to do, and what we do, we do by faith. The increase is yours, but um, we'd like to see fruit, God, in our own lives as we obey you and also in other people's lives. Lord, bless these folks as they go tonight. I know you love them. I know we do. And uh, I pray that you bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.